Good morning. How are you doing today? Thank you, team. And it's like um, having angels singing. And I just love that, that concept of the goodness of God. And just the goodness of God is pursuing us. This morning we get to talk about um, hospitality. And it's kind of interesting. It's an interesting word because most people have multiple definitions of hospitality. When I talk to people and say, what do, you, what do you think of hospitality? They'll tell me. And almost every time, I will get a different definition. And so this morning, what I'd really like to do is just dig into God's Word so that we might be able to get a taste of what biblical hospitality is. So if you wouldn't mind, let me just pray. Lord, I want to just thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity that we have um, just to dig into your word. Thank you that you pursue us with your goodness. Lord, I just pray that every word that is spoken this morning will glorify you. Lord, I just pray that your spirit will work in our hearts, that we'll be able to hear what you have to say. Lord, we just lift your name up because it's worthy. In Jesus' name, amen. So, I want to engage you this morning. What do you think of when you think of hospitality? I'm not going to have you raise your hand, not going to have you speak out, but I want you just to think about it. When you think of hospitality, what comes to mind? Food? Yeah. I mean, you, you think of probably inviting somebody over, eating, having some great fellowship, right? You may think of a, a nice restaurant. Once again, food. A hotel. You may even think of a person, right? They go, oh, that person has a gift of hospitality. Could be a mom, a grandmother, somebody in this room. There's a lot of people in this room that I would go, man, they've got the gift of hospitality. But how many people think about sharing a meal with a homeless person? Did that come to mind this morning? How many people thought of going down to the Greyhound bus stop in the evening to find out everybody that got off the bus as they came into town? Did they have a place to stay? Did they have a warm meal? Does that come to mind? How many people thought, you know what? I'm going to go and purposely invite this person that I know we disagree about, whatever it is, and I'm going to invite him for a meal so I can get to know him. We typically don't think of those things, especially in our society today where we're so polarized. I mean, we are polarized in our politics. I mean, our church is divided at times. Our families, especially the last couple years, it's been tough. I mean, there has been times where people just feel divided. But hospitality is just the opposite of that. I mean, our world, we, we're actually trying to find out what we don't like about somebody. We try to find the villain and then stay away from them. 
I looked at some dictionaries just to try to find what it, what, what's a dictionary have to say about hospitality. I found one that says it's the friendly reception and treatment of guests or strangers. Other ones that I saw use words like warm, generous, sojourners, aliens. Now, when you're thinking about inviting your friends over for dinner and having great fellowship, that is hospitality. And I want to encourage that. But this morning, I want us to expand our vision. I mean, there's a whole hospitality industry. Hotels, restaurants, theme parks, theaters, entertainment, sporting events. Basically, anything in tourism. And the main goal is that everyone has a great experience. But you know, God wants us to experience Him. That's the ultimate in experiences. I mean, you might go to a restaurant, and there's people, there, there's a whole team of people that, that try to have you, have you have a great experience over food. I mean, you're, you run into the hostess, the wait staff, the chefs, the people that, that actually bus your tables, people that come in late at night and clean to get ready for the next day, put a lot of time and effort into having a great experience in a meal. But God wants us to experience Him. And that's what we got to look at this morning. Kind of a working definition of biblical hospitality is that all who we encounter would have a great experience that glorifies God so they experience Him. It's at the heart of who God is. I mean, we're in this multiply um, series. And I put up, you know, kind of a tagline. Multiply through the heart of hospitality. Because that's where God wants us to do. He wants us to glorify Him. Because this is really about Him. We talk about the BLESS acronym. And the middle letter E, EAT, right? Oversimplified. I look at that and I go, you know what? That's just taking time. Because it takes time to eat. In the busyness of our life, do we take time to actually sit down with people and get to know their story? So that people can know our story that actually glorifies God. And this whole concept of food, of banquets, dinner, I mean, it's all through Scripture. I mean, think about it. I mean, you got the Passover. You got Psalms 23 that says that we're preparing a table. And then in John 13, with the Lord's Supper, not only does it revolve around food, but there's rest, people reclining. And then, of course, Jesus gets up and he serves and washes his disciples' feet. Start to get a taste of biblical hospitality. So we're going to spend some time in Luke 14 this morning where Jesus gave a parable on a dinner party. 
But before that, I kind of want to take us on a journey through some scriptures. So you're going to have to just hold on. Because the reality is we want to know more about the nature and character of God. Who we are. How does God view us? Because I think that that's going to put a frame around how we look at even Luke chapter 14. So I'm going to give two characteristics of who we are. Every human being on the planet. And it's really important that you understand this. This is every person. This isn't just the people that you know, that you care about, that you love. These are the people that you actually would look at and you would actually recoil from. These are people not just in Little Rock, Arkansas. This, these are people from all over the country, all over the world. People that have different political values than you. People that have different religious views than you. These are people that, that you would go, oh my goodness, do I need to fear my life? But these characteristics that we're going to look at are characteristics for all of us, including everybody. And then I want to look at how God responds to us. So the first one is that we're all created in the image of God. Genesis chapter 1. Verse 26 and 27. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to, the, according to our likeness, and then let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. That just should change the way we look at people. Because we get a value because God created us. Not only did he give us value, he gave us an identity. And he gave us a purpose. I mean, who in here willed themselves into existence? Who gave themselves value that could be anything above what God has given you value? Because of the fact that he created you in his image. I was just recently in Austin a couple weeks ago. And I was walking down the street, and a homeless man came up to me and asked for some money so that he could go down to the Whataburger and, and get a meal. And I don't always do this, but I stopped, and I looked him in the eye, and I said, I'm sorry. I don't have any money for you today. And he looked at me kind of shocked. And he goes, that's okay. He goes, you're the only one that actually stopped and talked to me today. And I go, how many times have I passed by people? People that are created in the image of God. Second thing, we're born into sin. Staying in, in Genesis, you know, you got Adam and Eve. 
Not only were they created in the image of God. I mean, God himself scooped up the dirt for Adam, formed Adam, and then breathed life into his nostrils. Talk about intimate. He walked with God. Adam and Eve walked with him in the garden. I'm not talking, I believe it was actual physical walking. We get to walk with God today. But he got to, I think, physically walk through the garden with God. He had this intimate relationship with him. But yet, he still fell. And because of that, we all fell. Go to Romans chapter 5. Verse 12. It says, therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all have sinned. Through one man, Adam, we were born into sin. And that sin led to death, which on a practical term is, is that we were separated from God. Adam was cast out of the garden. That was a physical separation. And if you think about it, and I don't want to, this is an oversimplification, but because Adam and Eve were cast out of the garden, separated, and we're all born from Adam and Eve, we were born into that because we were out of the garden too, separated from God. And so the question is, are we able to be able to get back to God? Do we have the ability to do that? We sometimes even will say things like, well, I'm not as bad as that person. Like it's a comparison. I mean, think about how silly that actually sounds. Well, I'm not as bad as that person. It's kind of like we want to provide a hierarchy. Kind of like we're getting graded on a bell curve. And if, we, and if we're not as bad as that person, we may get in. Romans chapter 3, verses 9 through 12 says, What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are, are all under sin, as is written. There is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside together. They have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. So not only were we created in the image of God, we all fell. We were separated from God. But here's the beautiful thing. This is God's response. Those are the two characteristics that we need to keep in mind when we're dealing with people. Is number one, everybody's created in the image of God. So when you see them, that's what should, should come to your mind. Everybody's created in the image of God. Also, it should keep us humble because all of us are sin. All of us fall short. So we shouldn't be comparing people. But here's the beautiful part. There's great news in the gospel. If we go to, to, to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, it says, but God. Oh, isn't that a beautiful sound? 
but God. I've got that highlighted in my Bible. I don't know how you highlight, but you would highlight that. It might be on your phone, on your iPad. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. I mean, it's his mercy, his love, his grace. He made us alive. Grace is everything. We didn't, we, we had no ability to get back to him. Down in verses 8 through 10, emphasize that, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works that no one should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I mean, isn't that beautiful? This is really about what God has done in us and through us. In verse 10, it says, even the good works, he's prepared ahead of time for us to walk in. We can't even take credit for the good things that we're doing. God himself is the one that's put it in front of us which also is convicting to me because if God has prepared those good, good works and I don't walk in them, I say, you know what, I'm going to sit this one out? That's convicting to me. Then down in verse 19, it says, So then, you who are no longer strangers and aliens, but are fellow citizens with the saints and are God's household, isn't that beautiful? At one point, we were strangers and aliens. And now we get to experience God's household. Shouldn't our desire be that everybody on the planet gets to experience that? All right. 1 Peter 4, 8 and 9. It says, above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Different from trying to find the fault in somebody. Trying to find out if they're a villain or not. Love covers multiple of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. That without complaint gives me the kind of that reference point of going, you know what, I can be hospitable on my own and just try really hard, but it's that without complaint, that means that God has somehow transformed my life. It's become who I am. You can't just be hospitable because you think you should. It really has to be something that's deep inside you, that God himself has transformed your heart so that it spills out. So you're created in God's image, born into sin. 
redeemed by Christ. Don't you love that sound? It's new life. So going into Luke 14, now we finally are getting there for those of you that were ahead of us. Just to try to set some context there. So you got Jesus, at this point in his ministry, he's kind of shooken things up a little bit. He's healed some people. He's talking about the kingdom of God. And he's even talking about his authority. And people are kind of shook up, including the Pharisees, as you can imagine. These are the religious people of the day. And so many times we want to look at them as the bad people, the villains. You know, at that time, the Pharisees, they, they were the religious leaders. They were the people that when you had a problem, you went and sought them out. They could, they're the ones that consoled you. They're the ones that came across, came around you. They're not the villains. They were misled. And Jesus was bringing them back. But don't look at them even as the villains. So it says there in Luke chapter 14. So verse 1, it says, It came about when he went into the house of one of the leaders of the Pharisees on the Sabbath to eat bread, that they were watching him closely. Think about this for a minute. Let me just try to set the stage. So Jesus is controversial. And one of the leaders of the Pharisees says, You know what? I got a great idea. Let's bring him over for dinner. And he invited some of his friends. My guess is, is that they all came. They were probably early. And then Jesus came in. Because it says they watched him closely. It's almost, in my mind, it's one of those movie moments, right? Jesus comes up, knocks on the door, walks in, and everybody in the place just stops and looks at him. It says they watched him closely. And of course, Jesus didn't disappoint. It goes on in the next few um, verses where Jesus encountered somebody that was a little bit sick. Said he had dropsy, which was kind of an edema swelling. Obviously not enough that, you know, he was um, thrown out of the house and, and um, you know, even put out on the gate because they would often, often do that in the Jewish um, um, traditions. But Jesus asked the question, he goes, he goes, is it lawful for, for me to heal on the Sabbath? And of course, according to the Pharisees, the answer was no. But yet nobody said anything. Because they're going, okay, I'm not sure what to do with this. So they said nothing. But what did Jesus do? He healed on the Sabbath. Because he was establishing his authority. 
But beyond establishing his authority, he was working from compassion. He wasn't working from law. He was working from compassion, grace, mercy, love. He was restoring and healing. So he said, of course I'm going to heal on the Sabbath. And he healed them, sent them away. He sent them away so that he could tell the story to other people. And then he, one of the things he noticed as he walked in, he saw people, guests at this party, jockeying for position. They were looking to go and say, man, I'm at the head table. I'm in this position. And Jesus addressed everybody, and he's kind of going, no, 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 I'm sorry. That's not for you to decide. It's for the host to decide. The host is the one that gives purpose and position. And remember, Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God. He's been doing that. So he's in that mode. He's going, it's the host's role to give position and purpose. He even said, what if you, how awkward would it be is if you chose the head table and the host had to come to you and say, I'm sorry, you need to move. There's somebody else that's in that. Your place is in the back. How awkward would that be? And then he addressed the host in verses 12 through 14. Because he's healed a person. He's addressed the guests. And I'd imagine the host is probably feeling pretty good about himself. And so he looks at, he looks at um, the host and he says this. He says, he also went on to say to the, the one who had invited him, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and repayment come to you. I think that's just fascinating to me. Because we come by it naturally to be self-centered. We're inviting people that we like, that we care about, that can actually repay us. I mean, we do it today. I mean, our culture, our whole social structure is kind of built around this. Think about it. If I invite you over to my house, I know that I will have an expectation that eventually you will invite us over to your house. And then you kind of go back and forth, repaying one another. Because if I invited you and you didn't invite me back, Oh, I'd think pretty bad about you. That's who we are. A very social structure does that. I go out to lunch with somebody, and many times I'll go, you know what, I'll buy. But usually I'm going, this time. Right? Because you expect the next time you go to lunch, you're going to buy. And the next time, I'm going to buy. 
Well, Jesus says, don't do that. It says in verse 13, but when you give a reception, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed since they do not have the means to repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Oh. Here's, here's, here's the reality. We're all the crippled. We're all lame. What Jesus was saying here is that he's going, I'm generous. I'm generous. Because I know that you can't repay me. You were separated, and I reached out to you, and I know that you can't repay me. He goes, so when, you, so when you look at hospitality, he goes, look at it through my lens. Look at it through the lens that the people that you invite, they can't repay you. He's saying, be generous. Because I'm generous. It's interesting. In verse 15, it's almost like one of the guests speaks up and he, and he kind of gets it. Right? Verse 15 says, As when one of those who were reclining at the table with him heard this, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. He's just, he's just reclining. He's seeing everything that's going on. And it's almost like I'm getting it. And so he speaks out and goes, oh, blessed is those who eat in the kingdom of God. And I love it. Because at the beginning of verse 16, he says, but he said to him. So it's almost like he locked eyes on that person. And he kind of went, you are so close. You're so close. Because he knows that people will think, oh, just passively, if I eat in the presence of Jesus, I'm in. Jesus is going, no, 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 hang on. I'm going to tell this parable that's going to make this clear. Because there's going to be an invitation and there needs to be a response. I realize you almost get it. But there's a response that you're responsible for. So what Christ has done in these few short verses leading up to this um, verse 16, he's established his authority. He he recognizes this is about restoration and healing. He's given us purpose and position. And he wants us to be generous. So he's sitting at this dinner. Basically, he's sitting at a dinner party. And now he's going to go, I'm going to tell you a parable about a dinner party. I mean, think about that. He's at a dinner party. He's going to tell a parable about a dinner party. Which I love because they've just experienced a lot of what Jesus is about. And now he's going to actually tell them a story about what they're experiencing right now. 
so they can actually kind of see firsthand what's going on. And I just love it. So verse 16, he said, but he said to him, a certain man was giving a big dinner and he invited many. So you got a host. And this is, I mean, think about it. I mean, you got to, you got to use your imagination here. He said, this is a big dinner. Big dinner. I tried to look up the Greek for that, and I don't remember what it is to get the context of big, but all I could get was it was big. Big. This was probably like the event of the year. Big. Inviting many. This is a generous host. Because remember, he's talking about the kingdom of God. And he said in verse 17, and at the dinner hour he sent his slave to say to those who had invited, come, everything is ready. I love that. He turns to his servant. And he goes, everything's ready. Go. Go gather everybody. He didn't send them yesterday. He sent them today. There's an urgency here. It's what Jesus is putting out. There's an urgency of today. It's ready. The kingdom of God is ready. It's not tomorrow. You could miss it tomorrow. He's sending out his servant today. He goes in verse 18, but they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I've bought a piece of land and I need to go out and look at it. Please consider me excused. And another one said, I've bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm going to try them out. Please consider me excused. And another one said, I have married a wife, and for that reason, I cannot come. And make these excuses. I mean, when you look at them, you're going, a piece of land? Won't that piece of land be there tomorrow? But our worries of today get us so caught up into what we, we're about right now. Our oxen. I mean, those are investments. And I can see, man, I, I want to take care of the investments. Or being married. And that's a pleasure of today. They're missing the bigger picture. When you're consumed with the worries of today, the investments of today, or the pleasures of today, you're going to miss out on the gospel. The good news. The experience of God. Verse 21, go on, and it says... 
And the slave came back and reported this to his master. Then the head of the household became angry. And recognize, I mean, when I first read that, I kind of go, okay, he's talking about the kingdom of God. So this is God who he's talking about. And he's going, should God be angry? But when you do actually look into the Greek on this, there's a word, orge, that this comes from. And this isn't, uh, I'm having a fit type of anger, like most of us will have. I didn't get my way, and so I'm going to be angry. No, what this talks more about is you're being provoked to anger, that you're becoming angry, that over time, with repeated opposition, you're getting angry. It's swelling up. It's an extended personal exposure. This is over time he's been seeing this. This is a generous host that probably is offered many times. And people keep coming up with excuses. This is a yearning, generous host. When you look at the word yearning, one definition is a deep longing, especially when accompanied by tenderness or sadness. This is a yearning, generous host. So then the head of the household became angry and said to his slave, Go out at once and into the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. I love that. Once again, because he just said it to him. But he's bringing it right here. And he's going, you know what? You need to invite all. This isn't just the people that you feel comfortable with that you are approved. These are everyone. Because once again, we were all separated. We could all be considered poor, crippled, blind, and lame. This is God extending beyond. And his servant said to him, Verse 22, and the slave said, Master, what you have commanded has been done. And still, there is more. What's interesting there is when you look at the reading of it, Master got angry and said, Go out and invite more people. And it didn't say that there was time that passed. He said that the servant responded to him. Kind of like, I've already done that, Lord. And why would he do that? Because he knows the heart of the master. He knew that as long as there was spots at the table, in the home, it was his responsibility to go and gather people to invite them into that experience. 
If you were wondering where you fit into this story, this is it. You are the gathering servant. Most of the time when people talk about this passage, they focus on the guests that were invited. And you're the guest, but once you respond, God turns around and sends you. You are the gathering servant. Because remember, this was a big dinner. There was many seats at the feast. And God's going, go gather everybody you can. And he said, and the master said to the slave, go out into the highways and along the hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. Once again, the master is going, I am generous. I want all. You may even look at it from the standpoint of the complexity of the Jews being the chosen people. And he's moving into the Gentiles. He's basically saying, all are welcome in my house. We get to represent the host as a gathering servant. So many times we invite people over to our house and we, and we go, man, they're going to judge me. Is my house okay? Does it look good? Do I look good? And the reality is, what we're doing is representing the generous host. We can be free to go out and invite people to experience God because God is faithful. He is kind. He is loving. He will never fail. We will always fail. But that's not the point. As a matter of fact, that only glorifies him even more. When people can look at us and see our failings and see what God is doing in our lives, only glorifies him more. And then just, just in case they miss it, in verse 24. Jesus says, and he makes it really personal. He goes, for I tell you, none of those men who are invited shall taste of my dinner. But the beautiful thing is, the people that responded get to feast at his dinner forever. I'm going to end with Psalm 23. Familiar passage. This was written by David, the shepherd boy, who killed a giant 
who was pursued by his enemies, who fell into sin, but was restored and healed. And so he writes this psalm. And as we dig into it a little bit, I want you to look at it through the lens of hospitality, of lifting up the Lord. It says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It's the Lord that's the shepherd. I shall not want. I have no, I, have, I, I need nothing when the Lord is my shepherd. The shepherd never rests. The shepherd always takes care of us. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me to, beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. I just love that. It's for his name's sake. It's for our good, but it's for his name. Once again, he keeps pulling us back to him. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Think about it. It's the rod and the staff. The shepherd guides, gives us direction, corrects us, may even bonk him in the head. How many of you, when you're corrected, you go, man, I was comforted by that correction? Or do we fight against it? Thou dost prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou hast anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. I just, oh, I love that imagery. Just think about it. You were anointed. He's pouring warm oil on, on you. It's like, that's just got to feel good. That the Lord is just anointing you with oil. And your cup overflows. Think about it. Your favorite drink. If you had your favorite drink in a cup, that was just completely full, that you had to just drink out of it. But as soon as you drank out of it, it was replenished. And then all of a sudden, it started overflowing. You'd be sitting there going, oh my goodness, what am I supposed to do with this? Come here, come here, quick, get another cup. It just overflows. I mean, you would, you would automatically, without even thinking about it, you would, you would invite others to participate in that. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. <sighs> Can you just feel that? I mean, there's days I feel overwhelmed. But there's going to be a day I'm going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's what we're calling people into, to experience God. This is it. This is biblical hospitality. I want to pray for us this morning. And I'm going to pray Psalm 23 over us. And then the team's going to come up. And we're going to sing... Lord, I lift you up. 
Because you, my Lord, are my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. For thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou dost prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou hast anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Lord, I lift your name up. Because it's worthy of our worship. It's worthy of our praise. And all glory and honor go to you and to you alone. In Jesus' name, amen.